I'll ask you again. Do you love the Lord Jesus this morning? I love Jesus. It does seem this morning as if maybe our hearts are heavy or, I don't know, we're just uh, going through the motions. I don't know what it is this morning. Um, but as we're just in here this morning, I, I, I thought it might be appropriate to share this verse. It's in John chapter 15, verse 9. It says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Is your joy full this morning? Just turn over to, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus is praying for his disciples, right? And he says here, he says, uh, as he's praying to his father, he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Because <laughs> that's all that matters, right? Because Jesus loved us, right? We have the opportunity to love Jesus. Right? And his joy is made full in us. I'd like you to turn to James, please. Um, we're going to begin a, a 12-week study on the book of James. And James is a very interesting book. Many <laughs> um, <clears throat> believe it's written by Jesus' half-brother. And James here, it's kind of funny. In all the other epistles, the other letters you read, uh, there's nice greetings, uh, there's niceties, uh, there's a nice closing, there, there's um, a, a benediction, there's all these things, but with James, there's none of that. <laughs> James, and he's not writing to any particular church. You know, he's writing to those who are scattered abroad, most likely all those Jewish believers who... When Saul was persecuting them, they fled to different places, and he's writing to all believers. But many of these Jewish men and women, they've, they've known the law their whole lives. They've known the Lord Jesus Christ for some time now. And James here, he's not going to pull any punches. He's going to get right down to it in this. And so what we want to look at here in this letter from James is, what is God's vision of a perfect man or a perfect woman? You think to yourself, well, what do you mean perfect? We know we're not sinless. No, we're not talking about sinless. In fact, James says in chapter 3, verse 2, that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Perfect man. James here, what he's using is this word for mature or fully developed. Um, in that sense, therefore, what we're going to do is as we read uh, James's lessons, we're going to be looking at those features that mark a fully mature, fully grown, fully developed Christian. If we had to come up with a title for this series, we would say, Faith in Action. 
right? James says, you say you have faith, right? But, but what does it look like, right? We all talk about that we believe and we have faith, but what does it look like? And James is going to give us actually 12 situations in which we as Christians, because we are believers, because we have faith, we should handle those situations differently than the world would. The mark of a mature, fully grown believer. Now, at the same time, James says uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, that in many things, all of us still stumble and fall down. Right? In fact, Paul himself says in Philippians, right, not that I have already attained this or have been made perfect. Right? We recognize we are imperfect people. But what does Paul say? He says, I press on, though. I press on. And so, though we have not yet attained... Right? What exactly, though, should our faith look like in just everyday life examples? Acknowledging and recognizing, that, yes, that we are imperfect, we have not yet been made perfect, we have not yet attained. Still, though, what does God expect from us in these situations that we're going to look at? And, of course, James starts his epistle with a joyfully delightful topic, the topic of temptation. And I'm not talking about uh, the temptation that comes from um, or comes in the form of peanut butter ice cream, uh, which I'm tempted to take um, at the urging of my mother every time I go over her house uh, to the detriment of my physique. James here is talking about trials, trials. And certainly uh, many of your Bibles will even translate trials, which we're going to read in a second here. Um, but most trials involve temptation sooner or later. And so we're going to be looking at these temptations from without, so to speak. And James next week is going to look at temptations from within. Um, but James here in the beginning of this book is talking about trials. He's thinking of all kinds of trials. Trials that are actually sent from God. Trials sent from God that test the reality of our faith. They will have the effect of showing whether we are true believers or not and produce likeness to Christ. When James uses this word trial or temptation, he's actually echoing the Lord Jesus in the word that Jesus used in his famous parable of the sower. I don't know if you recall, but you remember that the sower, right, he threw seed out and some seed, it says, fell on rocky places. Right. Turn there for a second. Turn to Luke chapter 8. We all know that a sower went to sow his seed, and as he threw out that seed, some fell on different places and some fell on these rocks and jesus explains what that means in verse 13 he says but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy so i wonder what that looks like right there may be those that hear about jesus right and they hear about what jesus did for them and and they actually receive it right 
Um, you would have said maybe that their faces were beaming, right? As they told you of the reality that was done in their hearts, perhaps. Jesus says they received the word with joy. But look what he says in verse 13. But these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation or testing, they fall away. Wow. They had received the word. They were excited about what they heard about Jesus. And in time of a testing, they fell away. How come? Well, Jesus says here that they had no root. In fact, they never did have any root. Right? There was never any possibility of them doing anything else but fall away. You see, a plant that has no root is bound to wither and certainly will never bear fruit. You have to have a root. <laughs> These ones on the outside look, wow, they believed, they received it, but they had no root. Like Jesus said, that they only believed for a while. In other words, they weren't believing anymore. Jesus even explains this in John chapter 2. Look at John chapter 2 for a second. I promise we're getting into the book of James here in a second. John chapter 2. Beginning in verse 23, it says that when he, that's the Lord Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Hmm. Turn to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we won't read this whole thing, but in, in beginning in verse 31, again, it says here that Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, they believed Him, it says, if you abide in My Word, you are My disciples indeed. And so they go, okay, all right, yeah. You know, uh, and He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So they, of course, you know, they said they believed in Jesus. But when Jesus said this comment, because Jesus knew what was in man, he knew what was in their hearts, they said, well, what do we need to be freed from? <laughs> and namely, as you read this, James, Jesus says, well, you need to be freed from your sin. You were in bondage. You were a slave to sin. And at that point, they said, well, who, who invited you anyway? Jesus. Who told you you could talk to us? We're descendants of Abraham. Who are you to tell us that we need to be freed from sin? Wait a minute, weren't these guys that believed in Jesus? In fact, Jesus goes on to say later on that they were children of the devil. What? They said at first that they believed. But we see because of Scripture what kind of belief it was. They had no root. They have been attracted by the intellectual interest of our Lord's teaching. I fear too many are like that today. 
Too many say they believe in Jesus and yet they still live in their sin. Too many people are attracted to the intellectual interests of the Lord's teaching and yet there's no root. And James here is going to get to this. He's going to say, listen, the Christian life is filled with problems. And they're sent by God to test the reality of your faith. Whether you're a true believer or not. Let's look at James here. Chapter 1. As I said, there's not a whole lot of niceties here or greetings. James just says here, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. (laughs) My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. The Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's just uh, have a word of prayer. Our Father, we certainly acknowledge uh, this morning that um, we cannot understand the mind of God without the Spirit of God. We're so grateful for your Spirit revealing these truths to James uh, so long ago. We would ask again that your Spirit would help illuminate these truths into our hearts and to our minds this morning. Even as James says in this letter, we pray that we would not be forgetful hearers this morning, but doers of thy precious word. We pray for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen. The Christian life is full of problems, right? And the thing is, they come uninvited, right? They come unexpected. They are inevitable. The Christian life is filled with problems. In fact, James here, he doesn't say count it all joy if you fall into various trials. He says when you fall into various trials. It's inevitable. James speaks of these trials as the testing of your faith. That word there is actually James is picturing faith as a precious metal, which is being tried by God to see if it's genuine or not. The metal, of course, is subject to the fires of persecution, sickness, suffering, or sorrow. So the question is, right, what are we going to do about them? It's not whether or not we're going to receive trials. It's when you receive trials, what are we going to do about them? And so certainly there are several possible attitudes that we can take towards these testings. When... Various trials uh, come into our lives. When the problems of life come into our lives, one, we could, if we want, rebel against them. We could rebel and we could adopt a spirit of defiance. Right? Boasting within ourselves that we will battle through this victory 
in our own power. That's defiance. Thinking that we can actually go through this in our own strength, under our own power. Perhaps an attitude we could have is we could lose heart. Right? Give up under the pressure. This, of course, leads to questioning even the Lord's care for us. Does the Lord care about me? That this is happening to me? We could grumble and complain. And we know how Paul gives an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He talks about that in Philippians. They do everything without grumbling or complaining. Another possible uh, attitude is we can indulge in self-pity. Thinking of no one but ourselves. Right? And trying to get sympathy from others. Sometimes we do that when we're going through a hard time. Or, we could say in effect, God has allowed this trial to come to me. He has some good purpose in it for me, and I want His purpose to be worked out in my life. This is why James advocates, count it all joy. Count it all joy. James, wait a minute. I'm going through this difficulty right now. How can I consider it to be joy? How can I do that? Right? I remember um, I got my teaching certification in Pennsylvania and then came back here to Connecticut. Uh, I was applying for Connecticut certification. Uh, again, thinking that all of my credentials would transfer over to this state. Uh, some of you that are familiar, there is a, uh, an exam called the Praxis Test, which you have to take and you have to pass in order to be certified as an educator. Uh, and there's several different ones. And when I came over to Connecticut, um, I actually I graduated in May, and I got hired in August, which I was very thankful for. I got hired. I started working there. And one day, the superintendent of East Haven called me in, uh, Dr. Hexham, and she said, Hey, John, um, this isn't really your fault. However, we have a problem. Uh, she said, We hired you, and you don't have Connecticut certification. I said, What happened? Nothing. They said, Well, Connecticut requires another praxis test that Pennsylvania doesn't. And you haven't taken that yet. I'm like, oh, man. She goes, here's what I'm going to do. They could, they could have just let me go. She goes, I'm going to let you stay. I'm going to talk to the state. I'm going to get you a temporary certification. Schedule the praxis test. Take that test. And, John, you better pass that test. Because if you don't, we have to let you go. I said, okay. So I scheduled for the praxis test. Took that praxis test. And so... My point in this is that I sat in this room with other people. Some of them were trying to get their you know, Connecticut certification. Some maybe had gone to school right there in Connecticut. Some may have been in the same boat as I. But no one in that room was counting it all joy. Nobody, including myself. Okay? There were some people who were sweating. There were some people rubbing their hands. There were some people who were breaking their pencils, whatever it was. But no one there was considering it all joy in that exam room. How could they? Right? For the simple reason is this, is they couldn't have known whether they would pass until the examiners pronounced their verdict. Same with myself. As much as I tried to, my best to do this test, I had no clue whether or not 
I would have passed that test, which, of course, would have allowed me to keep my job. Right? How could I count it joy? I didn't know the verdict. <laughs> Listen to what James says. You can count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing. Brothers and sisters, that's the key. Okay? He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. He doesn't say you hope. He says you know. This is the secret of facing such a trial with joy. Because we can face it knowing. Not hoping. Not wondering. Not wishing. Right? We can face it knowing on God's authority that the trying, the proving of our faith will produce endurance. It will produce perseverance. You don't have to wonder about that. Again, this is the same word that Jesus uses in that famous parable of the sower. In Luke chapter 8, remember there was some seed that fell on good soil, right? Look what it says about those. It says, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and a good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Interesting. Endurance. It's the same word Jesus uses here. It's the same thing, right, with a plant. There is only one way known in this life to bring forth fruit in a plant. Okay? How is that? Well, that is the plant, right, it has to persist in growing through the rainy days, through the sunny days, through the calm days, through the windy days. Right? The only way that plant is going to be able to produce fruit is if it persists on growing. <laughs> By nature, right? using these forces, the sun and the wind and the calm and the storm, the cold and the heat, in the end, it actually brings forth fruit. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that the same forces that would destroy a plant that had no root can actually contribute to the maturing and the fruitfulness of a plant that has a root. Perhaps even, right, the fruit of the Spirit cannot be produced when all is sunshine. Right? How many of us have seen fruit of the Spirit in our own lives during the rainy days? Right? During the stormy days? The fruit of the Spirit can't be produced just in sunny days. Because we have a root. As we face trials that will test whether we are believers or not, we are to count it all joy, for we have it on the authority of God himself that trials produce endurance. And in that confidence, we can go through the storm. Look at Romans chapter 5. Paul here says the exact same thing. Therefore, in verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God. And not only that. Hey, listen. Because we have been justified, right? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only can we stand and rejoice in hope, but look what also we can do. We can glory in tribulations. What? Why? Knowing, not wishing, not hoping, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, I wouldn't have looked so worried at that praxis test if I could have been sure in my heart that I would come through that test with flying colors. But I didn't know. James says, listen, you can come through whatever you're going through right now because you do know, you do know that it produces endurance, that it produces perseverance. Knowing that we know, right? First John, when we studied that, this is how we know that we know, (laughs) right? Knowing that we know we can face trials with joy, sure of the outcome. Because it will produce endurance. Then he says here, and let patience or steadfastness have its perfect work, its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that in verse 4. Right? And that is perhaps where the difficulty comes, right? Um. I would like, when trials come, I would like them to be short, uh, not sharp, right? Um, I would like them to be over quickly. But that's not what James says here, right? right? He says it is the long, drawn-out trials, right? You've got to let patience have its work. Right? It is the burden of a grief that will never be made good. The grief of a loss of a loved one. Right? It'll never be made good in this side of glory. Or a disability that will be with you for the rest of your life. Pain that persists. As well as sometimes the sudden shock. Right? It's all of these, right? These trials that call for our powers of endurance. That's what makes it a trial. But the only way of producing maturity, says James, is to let it have her complete work. I was thinking about this. I was trying to think of my audience. And I thought, or I suspect, that the right marinara sauce, right, would have difficulty with this advice when the pressure and the heat begin to be felt, right? So many hours at so many degrees on that stovetop, right? If the marinara, marinara could, the sauce could, it would say, get me out of this. <laughs> I've had enough. How long is this going on? Two and a half hours. How do you expect any reasonable sauce to put up with all the degree of torture? The fact is that if you took it off too soon, 
It would spoil the sauce. Right, Uncle John? That's like with anything, right? A cake, whatever it is, right? If they could talk, right, they'd say, listen, get me out of here. Okay? But we all know that if we take those things away from the heat and from the pressure too soon, it ruins what God had intended for it. How often, right, we whose concept of time is so small and for whom trial therefore seems so long, we feel that somehow God has lost his sense of time because we cannot grasp the wonder of the eternal result at which he aims. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Many of us know Franny, uh, Franny, Fanny Crosby, right? a girl who was blind. And uh, she said this, amazing. She says, oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I am blind, I cannot and I won't. She was eight years old when she wrote that. Why then patience, right? Why why then is this endurance, this perseverance, steadfastness, why is it the product of God's testing? Why is it the product of the trials that God puts in our lives? Why, Why is patience so important to God? few reasons is one when we let patience have its perfect work right when we allow those trials in our lives and we patiently endure them right one it expresses our acknowledgement that God is sovereign that's important to God sometimes God uses those for us to recognize that he reigns over everything including you including your children, including your life. He wants complete sovereignty. And when you wait through those difficult times, you are expressing your acknowledgement that, yes, God, I recognize that you reign over me. But not only that, it exemplifies our need for God's help. Like I said, sometimes we can have that attitude where, you know, in defiance we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this in my own power, in my own strength. Not acknowledging and again recognize that, you know, I need God in my life. Not only do we recognize that God is sovereign, He reigns over everything, but I need His help. I can't do this on my own. God, I need you. We need that eternal help from God. But not only that... Uh, Patience is an everyday need for growing disciples. In Hebrews, right, chapter 10, he says, you have need of patience. You need it. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, that is the number one need for you is to learn patience, perseverance, endurance. Uh, Rod Dewberry one time was speaking on this. And this was one of his reasons for uh, for why patience. Uh, he says it this way. He says, it is the 
eschatological non-negotiable. As only Rod would do, right? Hey, what do you mean by that is this? You will wait for the Lord's return. <laughs> right? Patience is something we all have to cultivate in our own lives because we are waiting for his return. And God says, and you will wait. You will wait. And so this is why patience is so important to God. This is why it's the, the product of testing and of trials. But Peter, Peter says the same thing here. Look at First Peter. I mean, James echoes this. Paul echoes this. Even Peter echoes it as well. In First Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 6, he says, In this, and what is this he's talking about? It's this tremendous salvation that, that he just got finished describing that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You've been distressed. Why? Verse 7, That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We read here in James, right? James says, count it all joy. Right? What does Peter say? Greatly rejoice in it. James says, because it produces patience. Peter here says, because... It tests the genuineness of your faith. God uses it to test the reality of our faith. That we are believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse 13 of Peter. First Peter chapter 4, actually in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you now partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. Brothers and sisters, when we suffer and we go through these trials, yes, we know that it will produce um, endurance in our lives. But also Peter tells us too that we actually get a chance to partake in Christ's sufferings. And not only that, he says that it actually glorifies God. That alone should be reason enough, right? To endure, to count it all joy when we go through these trials. When those hard times come, saying, okay, God, I know there's a purpose for this, and I'm willing to receive whatever purpose that is. It glorifies God. But if nothing else, right? I was sharing a little bit this this morning, the Lord's Supper, as I've just been, again, considering uh, the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one endured what... uh, to the extent that he endured. Right? The Lord Jesus, every day on this earth was a trial for him. God, who, 
who dwelt in realms of eternity past, a spirit had to take on a body, take on flesh, empty himself. And not only that, but he had to take the, the form of a bondservant, of a bondslave. And every day he walked on this earth 30 some odd years. And he was hungry and he was thirsty. He had no place to lay his head. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief every day. And we read that ultimately he went to the cross and he suffered on the cross and he endured that trial. And he endured the spiritual suffering that he endured at the hand of his father for your sake and for my sake. That's why we can count it all joy. The Lord Jesus, it says that he set his face like a flint. Right? He set his face towards Jerusalem, knowing, knowing that the time was coming. And we all know the famous verse, right? That for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in James here, so if that's being so, right? If or when God sends trials for the testing of our faith, We shall need wisdom, right, <laughs> to know how to react to life circumstances, right? If we know that to be true, we know that God sends trials into our lives for the testing of our faith to produce something in us. Man, how we need wisdom. We need wisdom to know how are we supposed to react to these circumstances. And that's why he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So often we think, right, um, we think when um, we consider the, the guidance of the Lord, right, when there are sunny days, right? So often when life is going well, we often think, oh, this is the, the Lord's guidance in my life. We say that that was an, that was an obvious will of the Lord there uh, for me. But not so readily do we read failure and disappointment, damage and difficulty as the Lord's guidance, do we? But it could be, right? Those times could be God's guidance as well. And so we need divine wisdom to see it. If we lack it, we may ask the Lord and he'll give us wisdom. One minute. We might be resting calmly on the promises of God. But then the next we feel that God has forgotten how to be kind to us. God is not honored by a faith that alternates between optimism and pessimism. God's not honored by that. James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. He says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We are not to waver. We are not to be in two minds. We come to God and we wish for wisdom. But we must persist. 
We must apply ourselves and constantly come asking God for wisdom. By the very nature of the process, I shall need wisdom today and wisdom next week. You can't choose and pick when you want wisdom from God. Wisdom to face the unexpected event. Wisdom to know how to handle my prosperity and joy. Wisdom to know how to face my unexpected success. Wisdom to know how to face sorrow. I shall constantly need to come and ask for wisdom. And then I'm not double-minded. So James says that you need to come to God in faith and not just be double-minded. We need to ask God for wisdom in all circumstances, in everything. Perhaps, um, let's say you were a famous guitar player, okay? And I want to learn how to play guitar. So I come to you and I say, will you be willing to teach me how to play guitar? And you're like, you really want to know how to play guitar? And I'm like, yeah, I really want to know how to play the guitar. And I say, okay, I want you to see me these three days a week. And I'm like, whoa, three days a week? <laughs> I'm like, uh, how about one day a week? And you're like, do you really want to know how to play guitar? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, fine, one day a week, but make sure you're here. So for the next four weeks, I come to you. Four weeks, we learn to play guitar. But then the next four weeks, I don't show up. And then after that, I show up again. And he goes, oh, you're you're the guy that wants to play the guitar. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, where have you been? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. He goes, you've been gone four weeks. I'm like, has it really been that long? I'm like, that's weird. Because, you know, a few weeks ago, um, some friends of mine came over and they invited me to a Mets game. And so I, you know, I went with them. And then I think a couple weeks ago, um, you know, someone had come over and, and um, brought me something. Uh, it was a new video game to play, and so I had to try it out, you know. And I think last week, uh, that's right, uh, I had some family members come over, and we went to get ice cream. Now, you're not telling me that getting ice cream is bad, are you? And you would say, no. But what do you want to do? Do you want to learn to play guitar or not? Or would you rather just eat ice cream? You know, this, this is a man who's unstable in his ways. Do you want wisdom from God? Then you need to ask in faith. Not just coming to God saying, oh, yeah, God, has it been that long since I've come to you? (laughs) Well, see, before I I had these other things going on. But right now I really need your wisdom. God says, no, no, don't come to me like that. Come to me in faith. In fact, I could be an Olympic gold medalist if I wanted to. As I watch them running and standing on the podium with a chain around their necks, I've often thought I would like the feeling uh, of of standing on that podium receiving the medal. The only difficulty is that I'm not prepared to get up every morning at 5 o'clock and swim 20 lengths at the pool. Just not. That's what God's saying. In fact, later on next week, James is going to talk about the crown of life. If we really knew the crown of life in the coming days, then we would have to make up our minds. There's actually a crown of life to be received. Do we really want it? Or is it just a feeling that comes over us now and again? A double-minded person who wants to go on with the Lord today and forgets it for the next month is an unstable person. In fact, Verse 7 says, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
That's not how we treat God. James is trying to, again, give us a, a vision of the mature man or woman, or the perfect man or woman, fully developed man or woman. I just want to encourage you again as we go through this, as we go through this book, um, you know, maybe, maybe some of you are like, listen, I, I'm, I'm fine where I'm at. <laughs> I don't need maturity. <laughs> I'm happy God saved me, and praise God, I'm going to heaven someday. Um, and I was just thinking of this because, you know, we had a little baby sailor, and uh, just thoroughly enjoyed it these last two weeks. And I, I don't know if any of you have had children before you like this, but with me, and then maybe that's our problem, why we have eight, is that I, I love when they're babies. I love the smell of them. Uh, I, I just I love their faces. Um, they make you laugh out loud. I keep saying I want to try to capture their odor in a bottle somehow. Um, but I, I, I love it when they're this age. I love it. I enjoy them. In fact, there might be some times in my mind where I said, man, I wish they could just stay like this, you know. But as I thought of that, for how strange would that be if 15 years from now, Selah was still the same way? And in fact, not only would some of us think, hey, there's something wrong with her, but it would be disturbing. It would be like, why, why is this still this little baby? 15, 30 years from now, it still can't talk? It's still got you got to change its diaper. It can't eat on its own. Like something's developmentally wrong. But James saying, "Listen, we don't want to be like that. We want to be mature. When God looks at His children, we just want to see something that's disturbing, undeveloped, not mature." So we're going to look at these 12 areas in our lives where we can see faith in action. We can see this is the the vision of a mature believer, a perfect man, not sinless, but someone who is fully grown, developed, mature. And here, at least in this one, as we just wrap it up here, is James here, when it comes to trials, he says "This this is the vision. This is the picture of someone who is a mature believer. One, they counted all joy when they face various trials. Okay? They count it all joy. In fact, Peter uh, says, rejoice greatly in it. Rejoice when you're going through trials. Why? Because we know what it produces. Brothers and sisters, there is an end product. God's Word tells you in Romans chapter 5 and here in James, knowing, knowing that it produces perseverance. It produces patience. It produces Perseverance, endurance. But not only that, a mature believer waits for patience to have its perfect work. Don't stop allowing God to do what he needs to do. Too many cakes have been ruined in times of prosperity. Don't pull yourself from that oven too early. Okay? Allow patience to have its work in you. Okay? And then lastly, a mature believer will constantly need to come and ask God for wisdom. Don't ask God for wisdom today and then a month later forget. Okay? Or not come to God for one month and then come to him again and say, listen, I need your wisdom again. Okay? Don't expect to get anything from God that way. Okay? God wants us to constantly be coming to him and asking him for wisdom. 
even in the times of prosperity and joy, and even in the times of sorrow and, and, uh, and loss and things like that. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, I thank you so much this morning for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for the example he is for us. We're thankful for his perseverance. We're thankful for the way he endured. We just want to thank you this morning for him. May we certainly uh, consider him this morning um, as we consider uh, thy word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.